But I'm kicking off the series that we're beginning this week properly, Holy Habits. And so I thought I would just take some time this morning to, and we've got a little bit of time, um, to set up the series and just explain why are we doing a series called Holy Habits? What does that mean? All the rest of it. So it's as simple as this. The goal of what we do here and any follower of Jesus, any Christian, is, I think it's summed up in, in one word. I think it's, it's to grow. We are here to grow. Um, spiritually, and when I say spiritually, I mean spiritually is a term for all of life because we believe that God is not just interested in a segment of our lives called the spiritual segment, but all of our lives. There is no such thing as seg- 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 segmenting out our lives. Um, and so he wants us to grow. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. That's what discipleship is all about. Making disciples is about growth. It's about one thing. It's about change. And so this series, Holy Habits, is basically an invitation to grow, to hopefully grow, to change, to come with us and not just to learn or listen to sermons, but to really, really consider holy habits or practices that might help you grow and change and see some transformation in your life concrete, in concrete ways. I've been reading this book recently. It talks about this cartoon character, Popeye the Sailor Man. Do you remember that one? It's a favorite of mine growing up. I loved Popeye. When Popeye got frustrated or annoyed or he felt inadequate, Aye, 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 all that stuff. <laughs> he had this mantra, and it was, I am what I am. I am what I am. Um, it goes on to say that, oh, it's fair to say that, that Popeye perhaps was not a sophisticated guy. right? So he, I'm not sure he was aware of his shadow self or his inner child. You know, I'm not sure he had his Enneagram type down or his Myers-Briggs done or anything like that. Popeye was... He probably wasn't, I don't know if he was an educated man, we don't know, but he was a simple seafaring, pipe-smoking, olive-oil-loving sailor man. And he owns his story with beautiful honesty, I am what I am. But in a sense, when I hear that too, I also think that there is a tinge of sadness to that mantra, I am what I am. It sort of speaks to his shortcomings, yes, but it sort of doesn't leave maybe an awful lot of room for change for hope or for the idea that perhaps he could be more than he thinks, a little bit of vision of growth. It's sort of the idea that um, don't get your hopes up. I am, I am what I am. It is what it is. Nothing more than that. And I think sometimes, in a sense, humanity can have that mantra. I am, I've had that. I am what I am. It is what it is. And I'm sure you have too. But the reason we're here, as I say, in this building today, in church community, I mean, why are we actually here? Like, honestly, think about it. We're here to grow. We're here to, I've lost my place on my notes. Boom. The reason why we're here in this building, gathering with these people and why we do it regularly, why do we do this when we have perhaps not a lot in common with everybody in this room. And why do we do it? This is all about the hope of transformation and change. It's all about being on this journey of faith. And the church is a place where people are made 
into disciples. The church is a place where God makes and shapes disciples, where transformation is possible, where those people who follow Jesus can become like the God they worship. They can become like the one that they follow, who is Christ. They can be Christ to the world, bring the kingdom of God, and the hope of this transformation to people that are stuck in the I am what I am. So don't get me wrong, there is this desire in all of us as humans for transformation. We're in January, people are joining the gym, people are going to starting therapy or reading self-help books or making New Year's resolutions or whatever it is. All of us in this room, across the city, across the nation, we're all uh, keen on change and transformation. There is a desire for it, no doubt. And it's really important and all those things are really good because the very possibility of transformation and change is the essence of hope. The gospel, the way of Jesus, is this real, holistic, deep, true transformation of our very nature. Our very nature. And it, it, it makes it a ground where flourishing can, can be possible when we find ourselves and form ourselves around. Christ and this idea is in Scripture. The idea of, of transformation comes through in a really rich Greek word in the New Testament called morphu, which is a little bit like the word morph, or to reference another set of cartoon characters who watched the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it's the same idea. The word morph or morphu, this word means the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. The inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. And so it was used to describe the formation and the growth of an embryo in a mother's body. And Paul uses this word in the letter to Galatians, Galatians 4.19. He says this, until Christ is formed in you. And so here Paul is getting at the idea that Christ is born in people so much that they express his character and his goodness with their whole being. Or John Ortberg actually says it like this, in Christ we are pregnant with possibilities of spiritual growth and moral beauty so great that they cannot be described as anything less than the formation of Christ in our very lives. And this idea of transformation or morphe it's riddled throughout the New Testament. Another time Paul uses it is in his letter to the Romans when he says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this word is sort of like metamorphy. It's from the same root word where we get metamorphosis or the idea of like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Change is possible. And so the children of God can become unrecognizable in their nature as they are shaped into the likeness of Christ. Discipleship is this story of belonging and becoming. It is a story of discovery and change and growth, but here's the kicker. It doesn't just happen. If only we could just wake up one day and just look like Jesus. If only we could, in our very essence, our character, our strength, our action, wake up with a fire, a faith on fire, an encounter with God, wind in our sails, all the rest of it. It doesn't just happen like that. Sometimes it can. But for the road of on the road of discipleship, it happens over time. And here's the thing. Often in Christian communities, we think that if we think the right thing, we can think our way to change. In 
other Christian communities, they, people would say that if we can, just, we can just feel our way to change, if we can think with our head, how we intellectualize our faith, or we can, we can, we can, we can, we don't just, we can feel our way to change with our emotions. So head and heart, thinking and emotions, but the integrated, healthy disciple of Jesus is a person who loves God with their whole heart, mind, and strength. Their whole being and life is shaped around God, the head and the heart and the hands. The thinking and the feeling and the doing of faith, the practicing of faith. And so some of you in this room today, actually in your faith journey, and I've been here, are perhaps stuck in your journey of faith or your discipleship. Perhaps you've got stuck in an intellectualizing of faith and getting it all lined up in your mind. Or... And what happens then is we get stuck and we disengage. Or perhaps some of us are stuck in an emotional space where our hearts and our experience of God is filtered through how we feel at that time, on that day, in that season, whatever our emotions are telling us. And then we sort of get stuck again and we sort of disengage. And our head and our heart aren't unimportant, but... There is another piece of this puzzle. So how do we experience this transformation? How do we really live as disciples? And so this is where this idea of holy habits comes in because this is the piece that helps us integrate the doing of faith, the practicing of faith, the tangible practices, for lack of a better word, are holy habits. What are holy habits? What are habits? What are these practices? These are tools for spiritual growth. These are concrete ways of having Christ formed in us or concrete ways that we can experience that transformation of our minds. Regular spiritual practices are the shaping force in our lives that tether us to the road of faith or as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. And so the doing of faith, the following the spiritual practice takes us out of our heads and our hearts and enables us by shaping the doing of our faith. Over the centuries, the spiritual wisdom in the church, in scripture, in tradition, show us that followers of Jesus in, in communities around the world have given themselves to core holy habits or core practices that help them with this life of transformation. Community prayer, Sabbath, gratitude, practicing hospitality, faith, pilgrimage, silence, solitude, scripture reading, fasting, feasting, serving, blessing, giving, slowing down, and there are many, many more. These practices give power, integrating with our thinking and our feeling into the realm of concretely becoming more like Jesus not in a moment, but over a lifetime. And so over the next number of weeks, we're inviting you all to go on a little bit of a journey with holy habits and learning some of these tools that are gonna help us be shaped and formed in Christ. Pregnant with possibility for change. These habits, these practices are really powerful if we give ourselves to them. 
and they enable us to stand firm in the face of the storms of life. They help us to stand firm in the midst of fear. They help us to take ground in the midst of complacency. They help us to resurrect in a desert of dry bones. Saturated by the Spirit of God, these holy habits provide a runway onto which the powerful experience of the presence of God can land in our lives in greater and greater measure. Let me say that again. Saturated in the Spirit of God, these practices, and we do them already in Redeemer, we gather, we we give, we pray, but in our personal lives too, these provide a runway onto which the presence of God can land in our lives in greater and greater measure. They are not the end, but they are a means to experiencing intimacy and communion with Christ, to be formed in Christ and to see our lives truly changed. Head, heart, hands, all three integrated. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says that this is so integral to Christianity, this idea, discipleship. He says that Christianity without discipleship is actually, is always Christianity without Christ. It's, it, it, this is it, this is the game, it, this is it. It's about giving ourselves to the way of Jesus and becoming disciples. And so with an integrated spirituality and making room for these holy habits, hopefully our cry will be less, I am what I am, and more coming into the transforming power of the divine, of the great I am. And so we begin holy habits. That's the setup on board, hopefully. Hopefully that will be helpful. In the next coming weeks, Ryan, Stephanie, myself, and others will be sharing some of these practices. And it may evolve into a longer series, but we, hopefully, we hope it's going to really serve us all as we continue to walk on this journey. So today, I'm going to do the first holy habit. I'm going to kick off now. I'm hopefully going to keep this as short as I can. I'm going to talk about faith and the practice of seeking So many today in our culture live in a state of disappointment or disenchantment with life and the world and we tend to just accept things the way that they are uh, as we see them. Yet we all dream of walking through the wardrobe into Narnia, of stepping into a world of wonder and enchantment and awe. Yes, we stare at our phones, often bored, looking down, and distracted and disappointed, yet deep down we long for something more. Transcendence. Ortberg, John Ortberg, calls this sort of state of disenchantment or disappointment as disappointment, the missing, missing the life that you were appointed to live by God, which is a, a life of faith and a life of wonder. And Brian Zahn says it like this, the tragedy of growing up is not that we put aside childishness, but that we lose the capacity for childlike wonder. And the longing for something more, this longing, this is the first holy habit, this practice is key to being a disciple of, of Christ. The story of the human race is not 
just one of universal disappointment, but it is one of inextinguishable hope. And we are invited today to the practice of faith, or to use another word, trust, practicing trust. We're invited to the practice of more. We are invited to look up from our screens and to look upwards in awe and wonder. We are invited to live for more, for the possibility of real change, of real transcendency, of real transformation, and real hope. And this practice of faith, of seeking, is a scriptural idea, particularly in the Psalms, particularly in the midst of disappointment and hopelessness and disenchantment. We see time and time again invitations to practice hope, Faith and trust, often using the language of seeking, of longing, of looking. The practice of seeking, longing, and looking. Psalm 24, verse 9. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Luke 21. Straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Isaiah 45. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Psalm 46. Look, there is a river whose streams make glad the city um, of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 54. Look, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who are guarding my life. Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 27, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Zephaniah 2, 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth. Psalm 35, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Psalm 35, O taste and see that the Lord is good. First Chronicles 16, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. Hebrews 11, and without faith it is impossible to please him for he comes to God, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Proverbs 8, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Deuteronomy 4, from but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search him with your, with your heart and all of your soul. Psalm 63, oh God, you're my God. I shall seek you earnestly and so on and so on. And the most, I guess, perhaps most famous or well-known, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you in Luke 12. The good news, Redeemer, today is that the kingdom of God is closer than you think and it is available to all men and women in this room and across our city and our world. And you can live it now. During the week, I was at the cinema and went to see Molly's Game. Has anyone seen Molly's Game? Good movie, really good. I loved it. I'll not spoil it on you. Definitely go and see it. I think it's an Oscar, Oscar contender. But in the movie, Kevin Costner's the dad, which is great, because I love Kevin Costner from Robin Hood, another story. But in this short scene, Molly is, she is a, at this, at this point in the movie, she's a teen and she's a skier and she's trying to compete for the Olympics. She's pretty talented. And so she's on a run down the slopes. And the dad's quite, he's quite, um, he's a pushy dad. He's a, he's a demanding dad. He's, he's trying to get the best out of his daughter. And he, he comes up to her and he's sort of giving her some feedback and suppose, and he says this, he says something along the lines of, don't look down because if you look down, you'll go down. Look on, look up, look ahead. And it sort of sounds cheesy. It sort of sounds like, like the back of like a Hallmark greeting card or something. 
or like something you'd find in a really cheesy movie that's on in the afternoon, like don't look down, look on, like, you know, feel good, whatever. But I think it's really sort of, I think there's a lot of truth in it when you consider the scriptures we were reading this morning. So the practice of seeking, the practice of faith, the practice of looking up, Redeemer, we need eyes to see the beauty of our faith, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the Lord. And some of us perhaps have not seen the beauty of faith, the beauty of Christ. Um, perhaps some of us in this room, your story has been one where your faith was, inherit, was inherited. Or perhaps it was one of a real sense of duty. And there was no real delight. And some of us in our journey, on our ups and downs, we've, we've, and rightly so at times, thrown out our faith because of the ugliness of other people's faith, because of the ugliness of their lives, because of the ugliness of, of what they say. And it doesn't look appealing to us. And yet I want to encourage us today to not let go of our faith because of, the, because, of the, because of them. Do not let your faith be tarnished, your beautiful faith in Christ, because of the ugly faith of others. Have eyes to see and ears to hear. There's a great quote by Elizabeth Barrett Browning that says this, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest all sit around and pluck blackberries. There's this sense that if you have eyes to see, you will see. If you're a seeker, you will see the enchantment in this world all around, the hope in this world all around, and the experience of the divine in everything. Beautiful faith. But I think there's something sometimes that does prevent us from practicing seeking and practicing faith. And these two things are not intrinsically bad in and of themselves, so don't let them upset you this morning or anything like that. They may not apply to you, they may apply to you, but alongside disappointment, I think in the Western church, doubt and deconstruction are hindering us from practicing faith at times. We don't shun doubt. We don't shun doubt. We make space for doubt. It services our faith. It is really important. We all have doubts. When we pray, when we recite the creeds, we all have doubts. And doubts are welcome in this place. And doubts are important. But I don't think we should practice doubt. I don't think we should practice doubt. I think we should make space for it. But I think it should serve as faith and the practice of seeking. We practice faith, we practice seeking, we practice looking, we practice trusting. I honestly don't believe God wants us to live lives of complete doubt. I think he wants us to know him. I think he's revealed himself to us and is revealing himself to us for those of us who have eyes to see. And so many of us in the Western church today and around the world do talk about faith in very abstract ways, which is beautiful in one sense. But yet, as followers of the way of Jesus, we don't place our faith in a philosophy. We don't place it in an idea. We don't place it in a song or a prayer or a sermon or a liturgy, or we don't even place all of our faith 
and hear me right when I say this, the type of faith that I mean in the Bible, we place our faith in a person. And that person is the object of our faith. That person is the person of Christ. That is where our faith lands and is rooted. We were made to seal the seas of mystery, which life is. Mystery. Faith in, is hope in things unseen. Mystery. But we were made to seal the seas of mystery in a ship called trust, captained by Christ. And sometimes in a name to reject certitude, and sometimes in the name of doubt, we get stuck in our hearts and our heads, and we kick the captain of the ship off and sail those seas on our own, deconstructing the ship as we go and running aground. Sometimes we're like Christ, we run ashore, we're stranded, or we're sinking. Others have never even raised anchor or ventured outside the harbor. But neither of these pictures are really worthy of the calling of Christianity. Christ calls us to seal the seas of mystery with him. Not only sailing those seas, but getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Faith, stepping into a world of trusting Please hear me this morning if you are struggling with faith or on that journey into mystery, which is beautiful. It is important. And you're welcome here. And questions and doubts are welcome here. And they should serve our faith in all seasons of life. But we practice faith, hope in things unseen. Let me just read Hebrews 11. I'm going to read it from the NIV. I'm going to read it from the message. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11 in the message puts it this way. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, this beautiful faith that you have is a firm foundation underneath everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. So our story as disciples is one of possibility. It's one of more. It is one of faith. Faith means not knowing. It's okay with not knowing, but practicing the seeking of communion with Christ. And so Deconstruction at its essence is eradicating the foundations that you've built. And this can be really good. It can be actually very necessary. As we examine what exactly we believe and where we put our faith and where we put our trust, because we all put our faith and trust in something. We need to demolish things in seasons of our lives But there does come a point where we need to construct a life in faith, a life that we might want to live. And so that's where doubt and deconstruction are actually like doorways, or in a positive sense, graveyards to pass through, but not to make home in. They're not without value. 
because death is necessary for resurrection life. It's necessary. If you've seen that scene in Star Wars where Luke's explaining to Ray about the force and the whole circle of life thing, and the, it's great if you've seen Star Wars. I hope they haven't spoiled it on anybody. It's, it's great. But, <laughs> but these are places not to hang out in. These are not places to make our home today. You can, in a beautiful way, make your home in Jesus. And I want to just really commend us today to the practice of seeking, to the practice of faith, exercising faith, hope in things unseen, sailing those seas of mystery with Christ as our captain. Throw yourself on Christ. He is reliable. He is constant. He is the object of our faith. And spiritual life flourishes when we are connected to the vine, when we are abiding in him, when we are resting in him. I just came across, and I don't think I'd ever read uh, Colossians 2 in the message translation, which is Eugene Peterson. And um, it's a lengthy wee piece, but I'm going to read it. And I just hope it encourages us as I read it, because it's beautiful. I'll just um, setting that up. Here we go. Hopefully it helps, helps us as we think about these things. Colossians 2, this is the message. If you've got it on your phones or your iPad or anything like that, you can pull it up, or else you can just listen to me. It says this. I want you woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you have been given. You received Christ, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start to practice it, to live it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual doublespeak. Because they want to drag you into endless arguments that don't amount to much. They spread their ideas through empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in, not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has done and gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been 
through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did in Christ. When you, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So don't put up with anyone pressurizing you into the details of your diet or worship services or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape insisting that you join their obsession with angels and you seek out visions. It's a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God as only, only as he nourishes us. And so, Redeemer, the the substance is Christ today. That is what I'm exhorting us to today. That is what I'm calling us to today. That is what I'm inviting us to today. To be a community of space where we can explore, where we can question, where we can doubt, where we can throw ourselves on God. But I want to call us to the object of our faith today, who is Christ. He is the substance. Redeemer, trust Jesus Put your hope and faith in Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, the eternal Son, the eternal son of God, the incarnate, incarnate reflection embodiment of the divine amongst us, the word, the light, the truth, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. You can trust Jesus, Redeemer. Make your home in him. Commune with him. Pour devotion out upon him. You have never seen anything more beautiful or brilliant or magnificent than Jesus and his love for you. Lift your heads, look to him, trust him, speak to him, listen for him, sit in his presence, say hello, see the beauty of his love. I'd love to just close with, with this before I invite us to the table. Brands and in describing the beauty of faith and the beauty of Christ, he says this, Christianity is the ongoing expression of the Jesus story lived out in the lives of individuals and in the heart of society is a beauty that can redeem the world. Let us be seekers. Let us be practitioners of hope and faith. Let us follow the captain of our ship, Jesus. Let us make him the one who we seal those seas of mystery with.